there, Julie Oliver here. I created this podcast in hopes that by sharing what God is speaking into my life, it'd be a catalyst for whatever he's doing in yours. So wherever you are, know that we're in this together because God has a wonderful life waiting on every one of us. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Good morning. How are y'all? Good, 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 good. Well, uh, before I get started, just a couple things. I just want to say thank you to Chris and Terry. Where did he go? There he is. Thank you, Pastor Chris and Terry, for, you know, giving me the opportunity and trusting me with this. You know, I've heard it said that people will follow you and trust you if they know that you love them. And let me tell you something. Your pastors here love you very much, and they do a very good job at it. Yes, they do. They do. So we love you guys. Thank you. Uh, but I just kind of want to get started. And uh, like he said, I'm their daughter-in-law. I'm married to your wonderful worship pastor, Cody Oliver. Coming up on two years in September, and we're excited. Uh, but I just want to uh, kind of tell you a secret about myself. Because, you know, we're in a local church. You know, we get to know each other pretty well. But um, just to kind of get it started and ease up the room a little bit. When I was 16 years old, I went to an audition and I love spoken word, but I rapped a Lecrae song. <laughs> Can you imagine that? I hope you don't right now. <laughs> because it was worse than what you're thinking right now. <laughs> it was really bad. And, and, and the, the, um, the woman who was setting up the audition was an older lady. And she looked at me. She's like, okay, is that all you do? And I was like, no. She's like, well, we'll work on that. And it was, it was hilarious. I got out of there. My sister and my dad were with me. And I was like, I cannot believe I just wrapped a 116 crew song. But I did. And I did it so proudly. Anybody love Lecrae in here? I love him. I love him. Yeah, he's great. He's great. He's Atlanta local. We see him around here sometime. It's fun. So uh, today, I want to talk about something that I'm really passionate about. And uh, that is worship. How was worship this morning, y'all? It was good. It was really good. It was good. I, I like taking breaks as much as I can just to kind of sit back and receive. And we have such an amazing team that we can trust them to lead everybody with there. And sometimes I just like, oh, we get to, to receive, you know. So I'm jealous of y'all on a weekly basis because you get to do that. It's fun. But I want to talk about worship and really just abiding in him and the friendship of the Holy Spirit and how that overflows into the culture of worship that we want, that we desire, that we have here. You know, we're a young church. We're coming up in two years in October. Really exciting. Uh, but I think that all of us came in from wherever you came from with the desire for the Lord and desire to worship him and to be in a community, a family who wants the same thing, right? All right, so why don't we turn our Bibles to John chapter 15. I got a lot of word today, so that's all right, right? Okay, I won't talk for very long, but I do have a lot of scripture I want to share. If you're there, say hey, anybody? Hey, okay, sorry. <laughs> All right, chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. This is Jesus talking. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. Let me get my glasses out first, y'all. Pray for me, I got the astigmatism. Thanks, Dad. Hereditary. So, <laughs> that, it will, 
bear even more fruit. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither you can bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch who is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain. We hear that again. Remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Complete. Let's go on and read 15 and 16. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you what? Friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. That's good, right? I've just been having this season with the Lord where he's just saying, abide. Come and abide. Come remain in me. So what does that look like? What is the pruning that this chapter talks about as the father, the gardener prunes us. And then what does the shift from servants to friend look like? How, how does that look in our daily life, right? A couple years ago, uh, before we were married, I did an internship overseas for three months. I was a, a kids pastor interim. But during the day, whenever there's no kids around, everybody's at school, I was up in the facility, and uh, part of my job was to clean it. So um, it was the first time that I was out of the house by myself. You know, I was independent, had my own little apartment. It was above the church. And uh, so I would be in this kid's room all day, mopping, cleaning toilets. And, man, kids' bathroom toilets, those are fun. Moms, you guys are champions. But uh, cleaning toilets, listening to podcasts, and all day, I would spend like eight hours a day, just this gift of this season that the Lord gave to me, just to say, abide, come spend time with me. So I'd constantly have the word playing, I had worship on or something like that, and I just was in the season, I was like, oh, I'm just getting more and more and more of you, I'm getting to know you, I'm getting to hear you. And a couple weeks into this, I'm listening, the podcast one day, it goes off, and they're talking about ministering to the Lord and worship. And the Holy Spirit said this to me. He said, you've ministered to me. You've ministered to people. You've grown up around it. You know how church works. You know how to serve people. You know how to serve God. You know how to give good offerings. All of that. But you've never let me minister to you. And I said, Lord, what does that even mean? And my initial reaction was, what? Minister to me? Because what is ministry? It's just serving And then I had this moment, like Peter did, with Jesus. Let's turn to John chapter 13, a couple chapters behind that. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world... 
he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from his meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. At that time, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who was with him, and said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. I think that's hilarious. I think, I imagine Peter watching Jesus go from disciple to disciple and to, to disciple and be like, that's great, but wait till he gets to me. Wait till he hears my response. No, Lord, not me. You're greater than me. All these other people that you serve them or whatever, but not me. I want to show you my love, my offering. Like, you can never touch me. He's like, wait, wait, wait. You don't understand what this is. If you don't let me come to you, clean you up, minister to you, you won't have the fullness, the full extent of my love that I'm trying to show you right now. So, so in that season, a few weeks into that internship that I was there, it was quiet a lot of times. A couple weeks into it, I stopped because you know, when you're at home alone, you have a little bit more radical worship sometimes. You can kind of be a little more, more cuckoo than you can in a corporate setting. I love my alone times with Lord. I love it so much. And I'm, you know, even as a worship leader, it has been a challenge for me to love corporate setting worship, like together as a body, more than I just want to be at home and I want to be on the floor and I want to be dancing like nobody sees me or whatever. But it, let me tell you, it's such a treasure to have a community and a family of believers who are doing the same thing and going after the same thing. But I was saying, here's my offering. Here's my worship. Here's everything I have, God, blah, 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 blah. I'm like pouring it out, pouring it out. And it's like I never let him finish his sentences. I realized that's what I was doing. I was like, okay, God, you're so good. You're so good. Would you do this? Would you heal this? And he's like, yes. And I'll just stop and be like, you're so good. You're so good. Instead of letting him come in and, and, and allowing myself to submit, to be quiet, and to listen, and to receive, and to receive what he was saying, to receive what he was doing, what he was fixing, what he was teaching, letting him minister to me was a foreign concept before that. But really, when the Lord ministers to us, it's like a father spending time with his kids, it's a best friend. The Holy Spirit, if you haven't experienced this in your life already, wants to be your best friend. Every bond that you have with people here on earth, you know that friend you like to go to the movies with or that friend who's like a foodie, Tori, Matt, y'all have the best places. <laughs> you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, but Holy Spirit wants to come in and fill every void of loneliness and be the strengthening bond of every type of friendship and relationship that you have that we can see in the natural, but even past that, right? Holy Spirit wants every single part of your life. He's experiencing everything with you already. So why not acknowledge that he's there, right? 
letting him minister to you, letting him come in and just receive what he's doing. So we'll talk more about that later. But uh, part of it is that, you know, so, t- so many times we want to clean ourselves up before we come to him. We're afraid of repentance because sometimes we've been taught that repentance is a dirty word. Oh, you're messed up. There's shame attached to repentance. But true repentance is beautiful. It's beautiful because it's an invitation. You know, if we don't understand the tone of God when he speaks to us, and how do we understand the tone of God? We have the truth of who he is in the word, and by his truth, we understand his nature, and from his nature, we understand his tone, right? So he's a good father. He is so kind, but he's not a tame lion, right? C.S. Lewis, I think, is the one who originally said that. He's not a tame lion. There's this tension between the fear of the Lord and the friendship and the wonder of God. He's so good and he's so kind, right? So from his truth, we learn his nature. And from his nature, we learn his tone. So when he speaks to us, how does he sound to you? What does he sound like? Are you scared? Is he always saying, you need to fix this? You need to clean that up? If that's the only time when you hear God, I challenge you to say that you're missing parts of who he is, right? He is constantly pruning as the gardener, but it might not be the way that we originally thought. It might not be in the way that brings us to a, ooh, that hurt, ooh, that hurt, ooh, that hurt. But he's so gentle, and he's really kind. He'll tell you the truth. He'll tell you the truth, but it's always wrapped up in love, right? Y'all are kind of quiet. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's go to Matthew 16. So in this abiding with him, in this friendship with the Holy Spirit, it overflows in our worship. It should overflow in our prayer time with him. Of when we give him our offering, whenever we declare who he is in worship, whenever we pray, whenever we believe, say, God, this is who you are. This is what I'm trusting you for. But then there's step two. Stop and listen. Receive what he's doing. Because he has a lot to give. He's a good father who gives good gifts to his children. Right? So this isn't the scripture that we're turning to now, but the scripture that talks about whenever you're, a child asks his father for a piece of bread, is he going to give him a rock? If he asks for fish, is he going to give him a snake? No, no. And even as men, if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does the father know how to give good gifts to us? But if you look at the, the meat of fish, any fishermen in here? I like to fish. I like to fish. My dad was more of a fisherman than a hunter. Now I got a father-in-law who brings up steer meat, so it's great. (laughs) Some venison stew. If you look at the meat of a fish and you look at the meat of a snake, they look similar, but they're two different creatures, right? How do you know the difference? The taste and knowing where it originally came from, right? I don't, I feel like sometimes we feel like God's trying to trick us when he talks to us. When he gives us a gift, there's strings attached. 
But no, he's a good father who's saying, here's the purity of what I'm saying to you. No strings attached. The only thing that's attached to it and the only thing that's covering it is love, is love. If there's not hope, if, there, if there's not love attached to what you're hearing from God, even if it's correction, even if it's conviction, there's always hope and love attached because that's who he is. When we're reading the Bible, if we feel like there is condemning language there, ask Holy Spirit, what is the goodness that's coming out of this? Who are you here? Because I know that you're good. I know that you're good. In John 15, when it talks about pruning in the branch that are withering and thrown into the fire, I used to read that scripture like a threat. I used to read it like, if I don't grow fruit, God's going to throw me in the furnace, right? <laughs> to be completely honest. And it was terrifying. And I was constantly, oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to grow fruit. I got to grow fruit. What fruit am I growing in the season? I wasn't patient today. Oh, no, right? It's not a threat when you know who he is. When you know his nature, you know his truth, you know his nature, and you know his tone. It's not a threat. It's an invitation. He's saying, you're already here. Remain in my love. Grow fruit. It's natural for you to do that when my spirit lives in you, right? Everybody say, it's natural. natural. All right, let's go. Matthew 16. Talking about declaring who he is and how that kind of comes into worship. And we'll talk about that more in a second. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say that John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, I love his courage throughout the Gospels, he says. He pipes up, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Notice, as Peter declares who God is and says, Jesus, this is who you are, there's immediately an exchange and said, and Peter, this is who you are. There's this exchange of breath. It reminds me of the original encounter between God and man, where God first was the one to breathe into man, into Adam, right? When did we stop receiving his breath? Never. When did we stop becoming aware? That's a different story. So, when we declare who God is, we have to receive what he's saying back to us, right? When we say, I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. What is the truth that we know that he loves us? So receive, I love you. I love you, son. I love you, daughter. Constantly, there's this exchange back and forth of life. He breathes into us, and we exhale this worship all the time, all the time. So when we declare who God is, 
he declares and breathes identity back to us and gives us authority in that. When we pray, we listen. So, talk more about worship specifically and how this all ties in. But abiding in him every day will overflow into everything. And one of those is our time together here. It will overflow. We learn so much about him during worship because we're declaring who God is. We're believing him. We're, we're thinking about things that he's done in our life. We're recalling the testimonies to mind. We're receiving revelation from the Spirit. Some of the most wonderful times that I have spent with him and learned about him have been in times of worship. Whether that is, you know, how we think of the normal stance, hands up, singing out. Sometimes it's looked like I'm sitting in the back corner with a notebook in my Bible and I'm letting the truth of God that they're singing on the screen wash over me as I'm praying and I'm receiving, right? So there's moments where we stop and say, Father, what do you want to do and what do you want to say? You notice, even this morning, it was so fun. And, and something that Cody and I have made important to this culture of worship here is that we leave space for the Holy Spirit. And we leave space for you to sing your own song. It's not because we forget what song comes next. <laughs> or we think, oh, this will be a pretty guitar line or a pretty piano line or something like that. But no, we're intentional about it because we know that God has something to say. Whether it's prophetically sung through one of our leaders or it's from his heart to yours in that moment, right? It could be totally different than what we're singing. But God wants to connect with you in that time. And it's so special because we are intentionally aware of his presence during worship. And we're ready. We're expecting him. It's a challenge for me to have that same type of expectation when I'm at home vacuuming, right? Right, and that's part of the, the journey of, of deepening our friendship with him, of saying, you can talk to me anytime, right? Why don't we just say that? Holy Spirit, you can talk to me anytime. Amen. Eugene Peterson talks on Romans 8, verse 15. He says it, kind of translates it and says, For we did not receive a spirit that makes us slaves to fear, but one, the spirit of sonship, by which we cry, Abba, Father. It causes us to say, with an adventurous expectations, What's next, Father? What's next? So during worship, what we are praying and what we are thinking, if you want to see in the minds of your band up here, What's next, Father? What are you doing in the room? I usually have one ear out because we have headphones that we can hear clearly just to kind of see and hear your song. What's the wave of the Spirit doing in the room? What, what, what are you doing, Father? What are people singing? What's being attached? What's clicking with everybody, right? What's bringing unity into the room as we sing? What's next, Father? We're constantly asking that question. What are you doing? What do you want to do? What are you saying? Jesus never outgrew his need for the Father. 
if the perfect leader, the son of God, was constantly being led by the father, how much more do we need to be led, right? In our everyday, in worship, how much more do we need to say, what's next? What are you doing? Am I in, in will with you? If not, oh, let me step to the right. Let me, let me get back. Let me realign myself. When I feel peace, when I hear your voice, I know I'm in the vein. I know what you're doing. Because the sheep know the shepherd's voice. We know his truth. We know his nature. We know his tone, right? So a great worship culture and great worshipers are those who know how to be led by the Holy Spirit and lead their own heart into worship. You know, just like I said with Chris and Terry at the beginning, you can trust and follow those who you know love you. I want you to know that the band, the worship team, loves you guys. Loves you very much, very much, or connected with you guys. So, I'm going to go on. King David, in Psalm 103, says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. He led his own heart into worship before he led anybody else there, right? It was a diary entry. And then it became the psalm that led the Israelites and his mighty men. Praise the Lord, O my soul. He led his own heart. He knew how to step into the presence without anybody else's help because he, was already, he already had the instinct. He already had the natural ability to say, Father, it's you and me right here. It's you and me. So sometimes if you walk into church and you feel a little sleepy or you look around and you're like, everybody else is sleepy, <laughs> you have to make the decision for yourself to step into this and say, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And all that is within me, bring praise. We love leading you, but we can only lead you to a certain point. You have to pick it up. You have to take your own fork and start eating the meal, right? Right? So, Second Chronicles 5.14, when they're dedicating Solomon's temple, the temple was filled with a cloud of glory so thick that the priests could not perform their services. The glory had taken over. They had prepared. They had done all that they knew to do. But at some point, the glory cloud was so thick. They're like, we can't even do what we had planned. We came with excellence. We came with order. We did everything that we know how to do. But now he's taken over and we're submitting to it. We're going with him. What's next, Father? We live for that as worship leaders. When we stop singing the words on the screen and we start singing the words written on your heart. We love that. This morning, even... It, 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 a couple minutes ago, there was an activation and we said, three, two, one, sing your own song of thanksgiving. What an opportunity that is and what courage we can have from the people next to us doing the same thing with the same goal. It's a domino effect, right? Let me tell you something. There, you might feel awkward for a few seconds. Get into it. <laughs> the fear will leave right? Perfect love casts out all what? Fear. So whenever we're saying, Lord, this is all my love for you. This is the perfect love. This is my perfect offering that I'm giving to you in this moment. You're worthy. What can't stand in that mode? Fear. Fear. You know, 
So we want to sing ourselves out of a job. We do. As worship leaders, as the band, we want to sing ourselves out of a job. We are, you know, we're like tour guides. We're going to a place. We know about it. It's important that we've been there before, right? It's important that we've been there before, that we know the Lord, (laughs) that we know, and we want to show you this part of God, part of who he is through our song, through our worship. But then there's a point where we have to step back and say, look at the majesty of it. Look at it. We take you to a beautiful vista point, and we's like, all right, this is who he is. This is what's happening here. Go, look, experience it for yourself. Look at what he's doing. Encounter him. Seek his face. Look. That's our job. Not just in worship leaders, but the pastors here, your revive group leaders, the kids' church leaders, everybody. We are here to take you to a point to make a decision. Look for yourself. See how good he is. Taste and see. Pick up your fork, right, and dine on who he is. So your level of experience in worship is dependent on nothing else. It's not dependent on the band. It's not dependent on the church. It's not dependent on the building or the leadership or whatever. It's dependent on nothing else but your connection to him. Your experience in worship is dependent on nothing else than your connection to him. Because what is worship? Connection. Adoration. God, this is who you are. I'm connecting with you in this moment. I'm intentionally coming to you and adoring you. You want a good worship experience? Connect with God. They didn't play my favorite song this morning. Okay, connect with God. Julie sounded bad. Okay, connect with that with God. <laughs> right? So, you will get what you come for if that's your intention to connect with him. We want revival as a church. We want a great worship culture. We want to experience things that like we've seen before at Bethel Redding and IHOP and Morningstar and Ramp Church. We want cultures like that who know how to go after God and worship. But let me tell you, we're two years old as a church. That is years of tilling the ground, cultivation, intentional connection with God. Not just on Sunday morning, not just at their meetings, but at their house by themselves. Go in your kitchen make your own plate of food, bring it to church, get your fork out and start connecting with God, right? We're here to serve. We're here to serve each other. But you have to make him your own in that moment. We hear it in youth sermons all the time. God can't be your parents, God, right? Well, listen, as adults, God can't be your leadership's God, God can't be the person next to you is God. If they shout, then I'll shout. If they sing, then I'll sing, right? Your level of experience in worship is dependent on nothing else but your connection with him. If you want a good time, 
If you want to really be in his presence, then get in his presence for yourself, right? Just so you know, I'm not mad at anybody. If anybody feels like they're tense up in here, (laughs) this wasn't a message brought out of, they need to fix some stuff. (laughs) I was talking with Cody last night. I was like, it's it's a different, you know, you you can feel it. Whenever uh, a pastor brings a sermon, it's like, I know some crap about all y'all, and I'm going to preach about it. I'm going to do it anonymously. Right? That's not what this is. This is an invitation. This is a hunger. Like we've been talking about, a hunger for what God is doing here. For what God wants to do through his people. What time is it? Okay. So, I want to share a, uh, a vision that Jonathan David Helser and Melissa, the ones who wrote No Longer Slaves, right? They're a part of Bethel Music, but they're actually in North Carolina. They have their own school of ministry up there. But I was listening to one of his messages, and he had a vision about the church at, uh, I believe it was Morningstar, when they were in a worship set. And I really feel like I want to take it and bring it here, and bring it for our house this morning. But paraphrasing, this is what it was. So he's in worship, and he sees the room, and he sees this big key in the middle of the room. It's huge, big metal key. He says, what's the key for? The key is for revival, opening up the ceiling off the church and opening up the heavens. So in this vision... The church gets excited, and they see the key. And so they build all of this machinery up here. And we got like, we, we to lift the key to the ceiling to unlock it. So they bring out their machinery. They bring out their systems. They bring it to it. It doesn't work. I said, okay, that doesn't work. What if we all get around it, and we all lift it up together like a big, huge semi-truck <laughs> up to the ceiling? That didn't work either. Then out of the corner of the room, a small boy comes around here and said, I think what might lift the key is a song. And the little boy starts to sing in the spirit. And at that moment, people are like, yeah, maybe that's it. And they all start to sing in the spirit. They all start to sing their own song unto the Lord. And immediately the key starts to lift up and unlocks the heavens. And the outpouring comes on the church. I believe... That if you want revival, if you want the culture of worship that you've only dreamed about, that you've only seen, that you've only visited in conferences, the key is your own song being lifted up to him. It's your connection. There's a song written on every one of our hearts that only you can sing to the Father. Right? I'm not a singer. I'm not a musician. It doesn't matter. Johnny Cash got famous, and all he did was talk. (laughs) Right? I love Johnny Cash. There is a song. There is a sound from your spirit to his that's so precious to the Father. So precious to him. Everybody say, my song is a good sound, especially to the ears of my Father. And it is to everybody else around you too, but especially to him. It is. It is. You know? Man.
So let your intimacy with God overflow. Let that abiding with him, let that friendship with him, let the knowledge of God as we read our word throughout the week, as, as we pray, bring it to the table here. Come ready. Come not with expectations, but with expectation that he's here and he's ready to meet with every one of us. Right? Where two or three gathered together, so is he. It's a promise. There's like a hundred of us in here, so it's good news. Right? Come with the expectation that you'll be in his presence because you already are. Connect with him. So a couple keys if we want to really receive during worship. In those quiet times, in those loud times, where we're all singing the same thing on the screen, or we're singing the song that was written on our hearts. Remember, if you know his truth, you know his nature, you know his tone. And the level of experience that you want in worship is dependent on nobody else but you and him. Your submission to him, your humility to God, purity of heart, your offering, saying, God, this is what I have. Fire always falls on sacrifice, right? So, God, this is what I have. This is what I want. This is what I'm desiring for me, for my family, for my community, for my city. Would you open up heaven with the sound of a song?